Well, we're starting a new topic tonight, and this will just be, I think, five weeks is the plan to go through this, and it is The Money Challenge by Art Rayner. This is kind of on like a every so many year cycle. I like to do something financial and look at biblical principles for managing our finances. How many of you were in this when we did this about four years ago? Who did the Money Challenge? Okay, one there. I think you did. Yeah. That's what got you started on the Dave Ramsey kick, I think. So... Anybody else remember that we did this? So you can get a copy of this book if you'd like. It's only $7, so I can show you where to get it. I didn't order them all because, I mean, if you're going to read the book, you can pay the 7 bucks to get it. Otherwise, you're probably not going to read it anyway. So a little short book, 30 Days to Discover God's Design for You and Your Money. All right, so how many of you think, oh, okay, he's going to talk about giving? How many of you think I'm going to talk about giving? Oh, you're right. I am going to talk about giving. But we're going to talk about a lot more than giving. All right? That's, that's any, any talk about what the Bible says about money, of course, is going to involve giving. But there's so much more that the Bible has to say about God's plan for our money. So let's do this. We, there, we're going to see a lot of verses from Proverbs. Some of them we probably saw back a few weeks ago in our Proverbs study, but that's okay. We'll see other scriptures as well. But let's start with just an introductory uh, discussion today. And I want to begin with Proverbs 1 and verse number 5. It's right on your handout. All the scriptures are on the handout. You're welcome to turn in your, in your physical Bible as well, but it, they are printed on here. Proverbs 1 and verse number 5. A wise man will, what's it say? Here and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Anybody have any idea why we chose this for an opening scripture for a discussion on finance? I'll read it again. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Wow. First hand up is Mike. It's a shocker. What do you got? <laughs> you think people are uncomfortable talking about money? Yeah, I think that's that hits the nail right on the head. That I think what is the uh, what do they say is the definition of insanity? What is the what is the definition of insanity? Who's heard this and knows? You you probably heard this. What is it? What what is it? Somebody help me. The definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Well, I just keep swiping this credit card, but it never pays for itself, right? So those are the kinds of things. And I think that's what the, the point of this verse here is just that, that, hey, no matter where we're at in our financial journey, I will say this, if you're in here and you're young, you've got a head start. But there's a lot of wisdom for any age in life where we don't have to repeat the cycle. We can break the cycle, we can change, we can use God's word to help us. 
So, in the introduction, let's talk about a couple of things here. There is, and Mike already said it, there's probably very few more awkward conversations for some people than money. I will never forget. I will never forget when we bought our the, the last the house that we currently live in, we had some people over, and like the very I don't know if it was the first thing or when they were, Deborah might remember, when they were leaving or when they got there. When they were leaving, the, uh, the, 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 the one person, she, they said, they stopped and they were like, how much did you pay for this house? <laughs> right? It's like a little bit awkward at those moments. How many of you ever had an awkward financial moment, something like that, right? And um, we... I didn't care. I told him. I mean, it's public information. I try to, one of the things that I've learned is that the Bible speaks a lot about it. Maybe we should be a little bit more, I mean, there's wisdom. Anyway, I'm going to go off on a tangent before we even get started. So anyhow, um, money can be awkward, but why? What, what are some reasons that people have difficulty talking about money? Anybody? What makes it difficult? Difficult conversation. Yep. Uh, they may not make so they might feel embarrassed. Yeah, they might not. They might feel a little embarrassed about whatever their economic. And that happens both ways, actually. Sometimes people that make a lot of money are embarrassed at how much they make, and people that don't make any money, yeah. So there can be some embarrassment there. What? What else? Yeah. So there's some guilt involved. It's like I don't want to talk about this. I just really don't want to talk about this right now. Because I know what you're going to say, kind of stuff, right? Like, yeah. What else? Why, why can it be awkward? Okay. So a couple of things I had uh, written down were, um, for some people, it brings up painful memories or childhood arguments that in their family, that money was always a, a touchy topic or things like that. Um, can bring up insecurity. Some people have a lot of insecurity when it comes to money. But we shouldn't be surprised. Like everything else in our world, money has been affected by the curse of sin, right? Everything that God has given, uh, the devil tries to corrupt, whether that's the family or uh, every good gift that he's given, and money is one of those things that's been uh, affected. Let, now, let's shift the discussion a little bit. Let me ask you this. What are some common financial goals people have? Let's go around the room real quick. Just give me one. Let's do this real fast. Give me some, let's list them out, some common financial goals. Oh. Okay. To provide. Get out of debt. That's a big one. Get out of debt is a big financial goal. What else? Other financial goals people have? Yeah, maybe college money for your kids. Another one. Financial goals people have. A retirement. Yeah. What are some other financial goals people have? Yeah, they might have to say, "I'm going to save this money. I'm going to buy this toy. Could be a car, whatever." What, Miss Valley? Did you say something? Yeah, we might have a short a goal, like I'm going to set this money aside so I can go on this trip. What else? Any other goals that we can think of that people have? Okay, now let me ask this question. Think of it this way. Think of all those goals that people have. How about this one? I want to move into a nicer home, right? Now, all, all the things that we mentioned, are they good goals? Yeah, of course they're good goals. They're, 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 in fact, they're motivators in life for us to work hard. But let's ask this question. Do these line up with biblical values? 
yeah, I think you could say that they, I, th I think actually the answer to that question is maybe. What do we mean by that? What do I mean that? Do these line up with biblical values? Maybe. Any thoughts? So it's a matter of motivation? I would agree with that. What else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If a person, oh, go ahead. <laughs> That's that is true. Are your are your resources being directed in God honoring activities? But if a person is heavenly minded, should we have some heavenly goals for our money? Mixed in there. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and I hear some of you saying some things like that. So maybe it's like, so, so it's a good, noble goal, get out of debt, have another house, etc. But do we view our generosity the same way? Like, well, I have a goal. Once I achieve X, that is going to enable me to have this level of generosity. How many of you saw in the news recently how the Hobby Lobby CEO, did anybody see the story going around about the Hobby Lobby CEO? You saw that? He stepped, oh, he, he's a Christian man, the CEO of Hobby Lobby, and he stepped away, I, I didn't read all the details, but basically stepped away from his company for the purpose of being able to do more for the kingdom, do more for the Lord. And so I'd encourage you to check it out, but he had a goal in, in life, and his goal was he didn't want his company and his success to only be for his benefit. And so... Look it up, but that's what an amazing financial goal that is. But all of us could have shorter financial goals. For instance, I've known that are spiritual. I've known people that have goals like this. Well, I'm going to give. I'm going to start out baseline as a Christian. I'm going to give some of my money to the work of the Lord. But I'm also going to get this debt out of my life. And when this debt gets out of my life, I'm not just going to live higher. I'm going to increase my gift. It's like a giving goal that they've had. Wow, that's pretty cool. So I just think, you know, one of the things we should consider as Christians is in all of our financial goals, are we keeping the right perspective on our money? Speaking of that, do you have a discussion question here? What are some things that shape our, do you see that there? What are some things that shape our perspective on money? Because we're saying we ought to have a biblical perspective, right? But how are our perspectives on money typically formed? Family. How else? Needs. Yeah, maybe our immediate needs or the needs that we've always had. What else? Influencers, so like um, people on YouTube or Instagram. Yeah, the influencer, influencers, he said. Absolutely. What else shapes our perspective on money? Uh, the, the price of things, you know, Jim and I just, we have to go over our lives by days and recently just to, to look at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are so there are factors beyond our control that sometimes influence our perspective on money. 
But how many of you realize that I think one of the biggest ways that our perspective on money is shaped, I personally believe, you might disagree with me, but personally I believe that the biggest influence on, our, on how we view money is how we grew up, like with our parents particularly. You probably, how many of you, now I'm just curious, do a little informal poll here. How many of you can think of your parents and say, I definitely behave like either my mom or my dad or maybe it's a grandparent or something. There's somebody in my family I can identify with and I look at money exactly how they did. How many of you can, can say that, okay? Some of you are not going to participate in my poll. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious if any, if people know. All right, so a few of us. Yeah. So the question is, are we coming at this saying, well, what does the Bible actually say? What is God's view on our finances? All right. Well, let's, let's start right here. We're going to talk about, there's so much to talk about. I want to, I really, whenever I talk about this, I want to go in a thousand different directions. So I'm going to try to keep myself focused on the material at hand. So as we're thinking about a biblical, allowing the Bible to shape our perspective on our money, let's do this. Go to the inside. Let's jot a few things down. A biblical perspective on money. First, we're going to look at the dangers. Then let's look at the blessings. The dangers and the blessings. Number one, the first danger, if you're going to write this down in your notes, there's these long blanks here, you can write these in. The first danger of money is it can be controlling. It can be controlling. Matthew 6.24 says this, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Money can have a controlling effect on our lives. How many of you have discovered that you used to think, if I could just have this, then my life would be easier, only to get that, and now to have more demands on your life? Does anybody remember, I just, when I was, this is maybe back in the late 90s or early 2000s, there's this commercial on TV. And this guy is driving around on his lawnmower in his, remember when McMansions, who remembers that term, McMansions, when people were building these, yeah, they're building these elaborate homes in the suburbs and they just throw them up quick and they, like McDonald's, McMansion. So this guy driving out in front of those and he's bragging about all the stuff he has. He's got his brand new lawnmower, and he's just smiling as he goes, and then he shows us this toy, and his brand new this, and his boat, and all this, and, they, and he says, you may wonder how I do it. And then he looks at the camera, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> Does anybody remember that commercial at all? It was so good, and um, I should find it and play it for this. That, that, the point is that we think, well, if we could get more of the mammon, then our lives would be better. But sometimes it just comes with more anxiety, more stress, bigger insurance plans, more things to worry about. And God says, hey, you can't serve it. Money is a great tool, but it makes a terrible master. It's a great servant, I think, is this statement. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Money can be controlling. The second danger, if you're writing these down, number two is it can be life-draining. It can be life-draining. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And some people spend their whole life in the pursuit of things 
only to miss out on the richer experiences of life. How does that happen? Somebody, I think we understand the controlling one, but how does, how does the, the, the wrong perspective on money, the danger, how does it drain our lives? Yep. Okay, so you never find satisfaction. What else, Deborah? How you can sacrifice relationships. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm providing. I'm, you know, I'm giving them all this stuff. Yeah, it's a big one. A lot of men fall into that trap. What else? How can it? How can it be life draining? That's, yeah, like just, just living in this constant state of pressure. No matter pressure. how much you have, whether you're in debt or whether you have a lot, just worry about it. Right? Yeah. Excellent point. Okay. So I've said it can be controlling, can be life-draining, not too encouraging so far. All right, so we'll, we'll keep going, though. The third one is the Bible says that money can be corrupting. can be corrupting. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now that doesn't mean some people have misinterpreted that and they've started with the evil and traced back the root. Well, oh, that must mean that every bad thing goes back to money. No, it's the opposite. If you start with the love of money, that can be the root of every evil imaginable. It doesn't mean that every evil thing traces back to money. It means that money can, love of money can bring you into any possible sin you can imagine. The love of money is the root of all evil. Yes. Um, I thought I did. Apparently, I didn't do it very well. So, man. Um, well, the, the point is this. Like, we know that the motivations for... Like, somebody could commit a murder, and it's not because they wanted money or love money. It could be because they hated that person, right? But could... The love of money induce someone to murder. I did better that time? All right. Good, good. What are you going to say? Well, one of the worst things that can happen to a cocaine addict is that they get the lottery. That's a good, yeah. You know, that's what they're going to do is they're going to do more of that cocaine. And feed the corruption, yeah. They're going to feed their, their addiction, you know? And the same thing with whatever you might have a problem with. If you pour more money on it, it's like pouring gas on a fire. If you're more oriented towards God and honoring Him with your money, then that's what's going to happen if you give more money. But, you know, money that wasn't working sells wings. And a lot of times it does it through whatever vice we have that we're prone to. Right. What were you going to say, Carl? It's similar to winning the lawyers in itself statistically has put a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Even if they don't, even if they're not aware of certain addictions or obsessions or sort of. Um, some people call it a curse, people's lives going right into the gutter. Yeah. It's because they have no purpose in the first place, and you take a purse with no purpose and dump a bunch of... A purse with no purpose. Put that's power on them, and that's just destroyed, it destroys their lives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I remember a statistic that I... Um, that I don't know if I'm quoting the statistic exact, but it was 85% like around there, lose all of the money within one year. 85% of lottery winners yeah, lose all the money. Yeah, that's, it's, it's crazy. It's a staggering statistic, for sure. Because um, money 
can be corrupting. There have also been people, I've seen this happen in my own life, by the way. Um, like, oh, how corrupt are you? Um, no, I'm just, I, I'm the, the temptation toward that. And you say, what, what do you mean? I mean this. Like, when I had less financially, and I gave sacrificially, I had less to lose, if you know what I mean. Like the widow that put in her two mites, right? Like on the one hand, we're like, wow, she put every, in everything that she had. But then again, it's not really hard to go from, I'm not d discounting anything from her, by the way, but I am saying it's not hard to go from zero to two mites to zero back to two mites. You know what I mean? But the more you accumulate to give that level sacrificially, you're like, wow, it took me a long time to get here, right? And so now you have that temptation to just hang on to what you've been given. I remember several years ago making a commitment. I said, Lord, I just, we were going through a, we, it was really tight. How many of you have been through some financial hardships in your life? Okay, probably everybody in the room. And it wanted, it literally month to month, do I pay this bill? Do I pay that bill? We paid all our bills eventually, and um, except one hospital bill that got written off. So all full disclosure here. So I say we've paid all our bills. Well, one was written off anyway. So this was years ago, um, and it's like, what do I pay? What do I pay? And I said, Lord, I just we're going to trust you. I said, if you will give us, I said I'm going to trust you for a thousand dollars. But if you give me that thousand dollars. I'm going to take that first thousand. I'm going to give it back to you, just like you know, like a crazy, you know, test God, you know, prove, step out by faith. And like within a few weeks, like I got an unexpected thousand dollar check. I mean, it was exactly. It was like now this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me all the time, maybe because I don't pray enough like that, right? But it, it certainly happened. And I got that $1,000, and do you know what happened the minute that I had it? You know what went through my mind? Yeah, it was like, well, what exactly did I say in that prayer? Like, how did I do that? And it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And so I took it, and I had a friend that was planting a church at the time out in the Northwest, and I just took that $1,000 and I sent it right to him. And... But the temptation, but the temptation was there. It's like, and I've seen that temptation over and over again. You get a little bit more. You're like, well, do I really need to give that percentage? I could do this. I could do that. And it's money can be corrupting. The Bible warns so much against that. So those are the negatives, the dangers. It can be controlling, can be life draining, can be corrupting, but it can be a blessing too. The Bible doesn't. Oh, yes, you want to keep us. On the market today is credit cards. Yes. They're the worst thing possible. Yeah, the credit cards are terribly dangerous. Absolutely. Have to use them, but I would say don't ever use them. Yeah. That's, that is not bad advice. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about the blessings. So, biblical perspective on money there's the dangers and then there's the blessings. The first blessing of money is obvious, but but we shouldn't just, the Bible speaks of money positively. We cannot ignore that. It speaks of money negatively, but it also speaks of money positively. Okay? And I personally feel 
Do you, remember, do you remember what I said before about how your perspective on money, is it biblical or is it just what you've kind of inherited? Remember we said that at the beginning? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my journey, my perspective on money. I came up, for whatever reason, whatever influence it was on me, I came up with this kind of concept. This was my outlook on money. There is a fixed amount of money. This is, this is just me, my former thought process. There's a fixed amount of money. And once I have it, I had better really be careful that I don't that I don't lose it. That didn't mean I didn't give or wasn't generous or anything like that, but I, I was very tight, tight fisted with money. But then I as I was exposed to other influences, and as I looked at scripture and I saw other biblical principles, I discovered, wait a minute, that's the fact is, there's actually an abundance of money in the world, and new wealth is always being created. And really, all I need to do is find ways to put myself in the path of money and channel it for God's good. And rather than saying, oh, well, I will only ever have this much, my outlook changed. I went from a poverty mindset to an abundance mindset. You know what I'm referring to there? Now, that's a journey that a person has to go on individually. But I'm just saying we ought to challenge our thinking, right? So that being said, because the Bible does have a lot to say about the blessings of money, of industry, etc., of business even. Look at this. Number one under blessings, if you're writing it down, the Bible speaks positively that money provides for our needs and our desires. Money provides for our needs and our desires. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh what? Are you still following the verses as I read them here? I caught you, all right? I'm under blessings, provides for the needs of others. The Proverbs 10, who said, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. He addeth no sorrow with it. Proverbs 21.20, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. Proverbs 13.22, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. If you could give me a couple of very simple statements that kind of summarize these verses, what, what might you say about money in the positive here? Look at those passages again. What are some just some simple takeaway statements we could, we could come away with? So then I would sip my cup of coffee if I had one. Just give me time to get in. What, anything uh, you'd come away with there? Yeah? Don't be afraid to have a mindset. Like, it's warning against either spending it too fastly or um, like keeping it for yourself. Sure. I think also, I'd say here, don't be afraid to go out and what? Huh? Well, that's true. Don't waste it. I think there's a, that's one of the principles here. Don't waste it. But I think there's another principle that, that, that's in here. Don't be afraid to go out and make it. Right? Don't, and I think that's, the, that's one of the things. Don't be afraid to go out and make it. The, the people that are being spoken here of, the wise people, 
how are these wise people described? What do they have lots of? Yeah, lots of resources, lots of money. And how did they get it? Well, there was a blessing of the Lord, but we would assume that they were industrious, that they planned, that they strategized, that they looked for it because they understood that money is also, it's not just a, a danger, but it's a blessing. I've said this, I challenged, uh, I've challenged people before, especially we, you know, we just come off of our missions month, we're going we're gonna to take a missions commitment. You can look at this two ways, and I think both are helpful. You can say, God... What can I cut from my budget that I can give to missions? Would that be a good question to ask? Absolutely. But what about this? God, would you give me a new way to make some money so that I can give more of it? Right? I think that we need that in churches. We need to teach that to Christians that we should be actively building wealth, we should be actively working so that we can use money to provide for our needs and our desires. But then also, the next blank here, is it doesn't just meet our needs and desires, but money can be used to provide for the needs and desires of others. For the needs and desires of others. So, in fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 clearly says, if you don't provide, if a man doesn't provide for his own house, he's denied the faith. And he's worse than an infidel. An able-bodied man should work and provide for his family. And then Proverbs 21, look at this one. The desire of the slothful, that's a lazy person. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long. But the righteous, what do they do? They give. And in what way do they give? Yeah, yeah, extravagantly, abundantly. They're, they're, they're big, they're earners, but they're also givers. And I just believe this. I, I've seen this happen in my life. I've seen it happen in the lives of others. If you will operate with a free and open hand toward the things of God and toward the needs of others, if you won't be have a tight fist on your money, but you'll, you'll put it into God's work, you'll put it into the care and compassion of others, and then you'll work hard, all things being equal, God just blesses. Because why? We become a conduit. We become a conduit. And the more I pour out, the more it needs to be filled up. But it doesn't stay here. It just keeps moving. So, let's talk about this now. The, the third theme here. We've just got a couple, a few minutes left. I'll try to move quickly. Let's talk about money and happiness. Money and happiness. There is that maketh himself rich and yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor yet hath great riches. In the book, if you so desire to pick up a copy of the book, you will read about a study that was done with some toddlers and a monkey puppet. The toddlers and the monkey puppet. How many of you have observed toddlers to not be the most generous group of humans on the planet, right? They fight over their toys and all of that. Well, there's one sociologist, she wanted to do a study. She's done a lot of studies on happiness, especially as it relates to money. And so this was the experiment. She took uh, a toddler. And somebody operating 
a monkey puppet. You got the image in your mind right now? Toddler, monkey puppet. They look at each other, and the handler says, there are no snacks for anyone. And the monkey puppet acts sad, and the toddler obviously is sad there are no snacks. So then we have the introduction of the snacks. There are eight goldfish that are put on the plate. Now the toddler is happy because there are, you guys are with me, good, good. So now here's what happened. As the toddler munches on her snack, the monkey puppet is hungry, and the monkey puppet wants a snack. So the handler takes a goldfish, not from the toddler, but takes a goldfish, gives it to the monkey puppet, and pretends to have an overjoyed monkey so happy to eat the goldfish. Now, of course, when the toddler sees that, that makes the toddler happy to see the monkey happy. Now, the person says, the adult says to the toddler, would you give Mr. Monkey one of your goldfish? Now, she didn't give all of her goldfish, but she took one of her goldfish, and she gave it to Mr. Monkey. Mr. Monkey gobbled up the goldfish. And do you know at what point the toddler exhibited the greatest level of happiness and joy? Well, you probably guessed it. It was, it was when she gave her own goldfish. And she did this, the, 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 the woman who conducted the study, she did this with, I think, 22 toddlers. And the result was always the same. When the toddler took something of their own and gave it away, that was where the greatest satisfaction was. I think Jesus said something like that, didn't he? He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Money and happiness. Greed is a joy killer. Generosity is a joy filler. Greed is a joy killer. Generosity is a joy filler. Some of the happiest people you ever meet go through life with an open hand. They pick up the lunch tab for somebody else. They, uh, I, went out to, I went out to lunch with my boss a few days ago, and uh, the lady came with the check, and he paid the check, and he said, and I want to pay for that Air Force guy over there as well. And you know what? I, that just says something. Those kind of, those kind of, why do people do, why do people, they're not Christians or anything, they, they pay it forward. Right? They say, hey, at Dunkin' Donuts, I'll pay for the car behind me too. Why? Because they might not know Jesus, but they've learned the secret that he has built into the universe, which is it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's joy that comes just from the act of giving and receiving nothing in return. So look at these, a couple of quick scriptures here. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I thought about that. Rich toward God. What do you think? Like, what comes to mind? Rich toward God. Anybody? It's an interesting statement, right? The question isn't, you know, the question wasn't, did he give anything? Did he tithe? You know, we get so worried about things like, well, I don't know, you know, tithing, tithing, the 10%, that was the Old Testament law. Is tithing in the New Testament, blah, blah, blah. Like, if that's where you're at, I don't even want to, <laughs> I don't even want to have the conversation, right? Like, it's not even worth talking about. Like, if you don't want to give it, don't give it. 
right? Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? And so as Christians, I would think, like, my, as I've always understood it is, if under the law is 10%, man, I live under grace, I should be free to give even more. That's a great starting, starting point. So, yes, sir. I, so you want to put me on record? Is that what you're doing right now? You put me on record? Is that what you're doing, Mike? I'll go on record. So I'm just giving you a hard time. It's a fair question. I do not believe that tithing is a command uh, of the New Testament. I believe in grace giving. I, I, I think if we're consistent with how we apply Old Testament. However, as a principle, tithing predated the Old Testament law. So you go to the book of Genesis, and you'll find tithing in the book of Genesis. So my personal opinion is it's a universal principle to give a tenth. Are, is it, do we have it spelled out as a New Testament law, thou shalt give 10% to the local church? No, but we have a principle of grace giving. So uh, I would say, I, I just, I can't understand why I would, I can think of no motivation why I would want to give less than that. That's how I would, would look at it. What were you going to say, sir? What we do see in the Acts is all, all the people pooling their money practically. Everybody's bringing everything to the church. So obviously 10% of the is pretty bare minimum. Let's <laughs> look at how they're behaving during that time period. Yeah, there's a really amazing giving there at the church in Jerusalem when they were under distress and had great need. Even to, to where later on we saw other churches raising funds to send back to Jerusalem. Right. People selling land and doing all the proceeds. Right. So, if anything, the New Testament pattern that's observed exceeds an Old Testament uh, type of giving. But again, there's no law on that. Like, I'm not the kind of person that, um, you know, if, if, somebody is, if somebody comes in and they're either going to feed their child today or put the money in the offering, I'm saying feed your child today. You know what I mean? But, but please feed your child and don't go buy something lavish. Right? You, you understand what I'm saying. It's, 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 we're not under the same economy as the Old Testament, but we ought to give as God has proper, prospered us. All right. Um, but we'll, there'll be more discussion about giving. But the, the principle is just simple, that generosity gives you joy. So I'd ask the question, and I've got, I put this little question underneath that statement, am I a rich giver? Do I, am, I a rich in, am I rich in giving? And then my next question, my next blank, I ask myself, am I a penny pincher giver? Am I, just, am I counting every penny down to the decimal point? <laughs> I've known that too. Well, I'm going to give a tithe, so that makes it you know, $112.68. Right? So um, those are the people that get out their calculator when it's time to split the bill at lunch. Right? Let's, just don't be that way. You know, just a little personal advice here. I don't have any Bible on that, but don't be that guy, all right? So, um, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That pressed down is the idea that you shake the grain in the basket. It's like how you are when you're buying something, right? You want to make sure you get every bit of the value that was promised to you, right? Like, you, you want to count it all. You want the baker's dozen, not the regular dozen. So if that's how you want to receive, that's how you ought to give. Shake it. 
pack it in there. Pour a little bit more in. Fill it to the brim and give out of generosity. And then the question is, am I a sacrificial giver? In, the, in Mark 12, 44, is that woman that cast in her two mites? And then finally, we already mentioned it. Am I, a, I wrote down, am I a cheerful giver? Am I a cheerful giver? I think ultimately, and we'll finish with this principle, uh, is, a, is contentment. Contentment is the key. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Why do you think God gives some people a lot of money and other people not? Why are some people rich? Some people poor. Some people middle class. Any thoughts on that? Well, the parable of the uh, tenants, the guy said that um, you only gave me one, so I was going to do it. And then the master took his and gave it to the person that um, worked for more. Yeah, I, I think that's the best example. You, you, the master gives 10 to one, five to another, one, one to the other. One's got 10 pounds, one's got five pounds, one's got one. I don't know why. The master knew what they could handle and what the responsibility was. The point was be content with what God has given us, but then on the back of your handout, remember this. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. I've known people say, well, this is all I've got. This is all I'll ever have. I guess I'll just be poor, right? It's like, well, no, we live in America. God has given us opportunity. He's given us education. He's given us resources. Put it to, put it to work. Work hard. Think hard. Be creative. Do something. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Interesting. You see what God is saying there? He's saying that he looks at the way we handle what? Money. And it is the way we handle our money is a measure of our spiritual capabilities. Interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. So I've got uh, two, we don't really have time for discussion, but two thoughts to ponder. Let's go with that instead. Two thoughts to ponder as you go out. First of all is this, the responsibility of wealth. How many of you think that people who are wealthy, have re they have a responsibility to society? I'm, trying, I'm not Bernie Sanders up here, okay, I promise. But, but like, how many of you think if you've been blessed with abundance, you have some responsibility to people around you? I do. I think you do. But your fair share, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're not talking politically, though. We're talking personally. All right? There is a responsibility of wealth. How about this? You've, you, how many of you heard that statement that the 1%? You know what I'm talking about? The 1%? How about this? Did you all know that most of us, the average American, is a 2%er? If you make... $25,000 a year in your household. You are in the top 2% of people worldwide. Just think about that. We definitely have a responsibility with our wealth. We are all wealthy. And then the last question, discussion here is how important is money? 
Well, it's just really quick. How important is money? How many of you say it's really important? How many of you would say it's not important? How many of you would say I feel like I'm being set up? Okay. I would raise both my hands. That money is not important, but money is very important. Why is it not important? Give me some reasons it's not important. Because as one of the scriptures said, you come into this world with nothing, you're already with nothing. Coming in with nothing, leaving with nothing. Not about a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that he has. Any other reasons money's not important? It doesn't speak to your value as a person, right? It's God can God has used poor as well as wealthy people. Yep. I knew. I just knew you were going there. I mean, I should have known better, but you're right. It can be, listen, in times of cultural breakdown, societal breakdown, all the money that you have can be liquidated by an act of the government to say of hyper, super duper, that's an economic term, inflation. Okay, it can be gone. And then the government can just come and say, well, I own this property. And the government can come and say, no, you don't. We're taking it. That's happened in the world. So... Riches can just fly away. So those are some of the reasons money is not important. It's just not. But from what we've seen, but why is it also very important? Because we have a responsibility to share. So there's a, there's a, it, we have a level of responsibility. What else? You can do a lot of good with money. You can have a big impact. Why else? We kind of just finished with it and I brushed over it really quick. Why is money very important? Because it reveals how we, how our relationship to money reveals a lot, not entirely, but it reveals a lot about our relationship to God. Where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. So for those reasons, it's very important. So, mark them down. There's really only this, the thing I love about this book, and you can get on board with like Dave Ramsey or in the old days, Larry Burkett. There's all kinds of great great resources and we'll talk about some of those in the coming weeks but i love this book because it's super simple it says this there's really only three principles if get a hold of these three principles and you will transform your finances give generously save wisely live appropriately and that's what the next few weeks is just going to be about we'll do a weekend giving generously saving wisely living appropriately and then we'll have a bonus week at the end. Doesn't that sound exciting? Bonus week? All right. Some of you have a bonus. There's a bonus. There's no money involved, though. Sorry, sorry. Let's pray. You guys have been great. It's fun. Lord, we love you and thank you that you have, you just give us so much in your word to help us live rich and abundant lives. So, Lord, I just pray that we would be fully content with what you've given us, that we'd be generous, and that we would be creative and industrious and productive, Lord, as, as made in your image, your creatures, to give you honor and glory. So please bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. 
You can email us at info at mountgreylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.